the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. America's at war right now. We we forget this. Uh, We don't... For many of us, we, we, we're not aware of it. It's kind of silently going on in the background. We don't feel the pain of it because we either don't know anybody who's serving or, you know, we, we don't do things like aluminum and tire drives and there, there isn't meat and sugar rationing. So we're not really aware of the sacrifice that's involved in military duty. But for those military families in America, hundreds of thousands of them, they know what it's like each and every single day. And we thought we'd spend some time just kind of educating all of us on on what they go through and the amazing sacrifice, not just on the battlefield, but even back at home, uh, on the home front, uh, with a mother or a father or both sometimes and kids that are are at home, kind of keeping the the, the home fires burning, so to speak, while mom or dad are overseas uh, in, in service to our country. Joining me now is Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti. Um, he, with his wife Peggy, Penny rather, are uh, authors of a new book called Call to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And uh, Lieutenant Bonetti and Penny, great to have both of you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Great to be on board. We were, on. We were trying to debate uh, ahead of the conversation today, uh, Tony. Um, short for your position, is it lieutenant, is it colonel, or, or, or would military decorum insist to be lieutenant uh, colonel? Just call me Tony, but I'm a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. In the Air Force, okay. But typically there's no way to really truncate that, is there? No, not really. Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. We'll go with Tony. I like that. It's Tony's easier. Tony's fine, man. <laughs> I'm Talk- originally from Brooklyn, New York, so, you know, um, Tony makes me feel like I'm back home. There you go. All right. Well, well, Tony, talk to us a bit first, if you would, about the reality check here that a lot of, I think, families who are beginning the experience of military duty, they might either be newly married or newly into the military, and even for the rest of us out there that really don't understand what your families go through. Yeah, for those of you that are just joining uh, the military, and for those of you who have no clue on what it's like to be in the military, um, I'm glad to talk to you a little bit about Call to Serve and, and what it's like. Uh, I've had the privilege to serve in America for almost 24 years now, as an officer in the United States Air Force, and uh, I can just tell you that it's a privilege and an honor to be part of the military. Um, but it's also really exciting, and uh, lo- you know, lots of new changes every day uh, as far as you know what you may or may not be doing. I mean, I've I've been called to serve and, and gone overseas on moments' notice, and next thing I know, I'm in a foreign country, and, and it's exciting. But there's also a lot of transitions and challenges that we have to. Uh, uh, take part of, especially for our families, and that's. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, you know, for example, my oldest son Nico, who right now just graduated from Chapman from in L.A., uh, he he went to three different high schools. You know, in in three years, and for those of us that have been to high school, you know how tough it is 
to move once, and to, let alone three times. So, yeah, you know, it, it take, gets them getting used to lots of moves, lots of transitions. But overall, uh, we have a heart for service to America, and, and we just find it it's a privilege and an honor to serve her. It was interesting because some of us on the outside that that are not involved in active military duty or perhaps have never been a part of a military family uh, see the excitement, the glamour, you know, that you're traveling and you're doing all of this. And, and, you know, and a lot of it, no doubt, is born out of the television ads that we see, you know, the recruitment ads and so forth, but not really realizing that there's a backside story to this. That is difficult, that is painful at times, that certainly is, is challenging. I guess when you get on the backside of it, uh, a lot of those, those initially painful and frustrating moments turn into, into, into joyful ones on the backside. I, uh, Penny, yeah. I had to laugh in, in reading your story. Uh, you got uh, to talking about um, when you guys were called to uh, uh, Vicenza in, in northeast Italy, and you're... <laughs> Your initial experiences there, um, which I don't know if you're back. Let me go home to America. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Obviously, Tony's background is Italian. Are you of Italian descent as well? No, I'm not. And I I thought I knew Italian until I put my feet on foreign soil in Italy and realized how fast they talk. So (laughs) (laughs) it was, you know, it it was such an eye-opening experience going to another country. And I I wish everybody in the in America has the experience of living in another country at least for a, a month to to realize um, how great it is in America. But when when we went there, uh, our initial, you know, when we first landed there, the um, I, I tell the story about being in uh, at a fountain and uh, hearing the the kerplunks and the of coins going into a fountain. And as I toss my coins and I make sure they missed because the legend of the Trevi Fountain is that when you throw the coin into the fountain, you'll return to you'll Rome. You'll return. That's right, and, yeah. And at that point, there was nothing I wanted more than to be back home in America. And, uh, but as I, as I experienced Italy and I learned the culture, um, and this was after a, a, a very uh, <laughs> interesting first, first month because my husband was hospitalized and had to undergo surgery. And so during that time, I, had, I was on my own with the kids to find an apartment, not speaking the language, and going through a lot of the, um, you know, trying to get through Italy and the driving and all of the, you know, things that you have to get through in a new country. And we weren't really affiliated with the base. We were an hour and 20 minutes away from a base. So, so you really didn't have the support necessarily there of, of the fellow, you know, uh, military personnel. You're in a strange country. Um, and, and, and I have to admit, we Italians can be sometimes a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, the, the stories you share of your, your first meeting with your, with your downstairs neighbor were particularly encouraging. Well, you know, after being cooped up in a hotel for a month with three kids and a dog, and, um, and Tony was still on bed rest, we moved over to finally finding a, an apartment with a kitchen because you can't find one in Italy that has a kitchen because everybody takes them when they move. And we finally found one with the kitchen, and as we were moving in and the kids were getting ready to go to the pool because I, they, I bribed them with a, going to the pool after we unpacked, and uh, I heard a knock on the door. And as I went to the door, a beautiful middle-aged woman came to the door, and uh, I thought, God, this is wonderful. We've got Italian hospitality right off the bat. They're going to welcome me. <laughs> and she said, in broken English, she said, she said, how long do you plan on being here? 
And I said, well, maybe two years. And she said, well, I cannot have all of this noise on my head for two years. I, I want you to stop. And, and, she was, and she said something in Italian that I'm sure was not very nice, and she stormed out the door. And I thought, oh, my goodness, this is, this is my first experience with our neighbors. So we were a little bit, I was a little bit frazzled, and so I took the kids to the pool. And as I went to the pool, I sat down on a chair and, and found one that wasn't populated. It was, a, you know, there was very crowded. And I sat down, and the whole chair busted. And, and I saw the Tatiana was the lady downstairs. I saw her smirking with another woman, and I could tell, even in another language, they were probably talking about me. And uh, then a, a, an Adonis-looking man came over to my chair, and he said in broken English, these chairs belong to people here. You're going to need, you know, this is not, you're going to have to take care of the expense for this chair. And And so... I decided, okay, it's time for me to go back to the apartment. And as I went back, I realized because I was frazzled, I locked the, the keys into the house. And uh, so I called my husband. He called the landlady and explained to him in Ita- her in Italian that, you know, what had happened. And so uh, she said she would come right over in three hours. And <laughs> so you're lucky yeah, it was that you're lucky it was that quickly. You're right. Usually it's Domani. We learned that Domani, Domani. in Italian. But uh, anyway, she came over three hours and twenty minutes later to find us sunburned and thirsty, and and uh, I I explained to her in in English, and even though she didn't understand a word, she under she empathized with me and gave me a big hug, and from then on I learned that um that the italian culture uh I, we learn to embrace it and instead of being afraid of another country we learn to um to to really embrace their their values and their culture and ended up having a just a beautiful experience where at the end of my story i'm back at trevi fountains and i'm throwing loads of coins in because i didn't want to leave this i considered home so it's all it's all in the what you make of it. And, and along the way, I'm sure, you, if, if not learning literally how to speak the language, you know, if you know how to use your hands in the right places <laughs> at the right time, you know, that, that that's the that's best way correct. to communicate. My, my father has a great joke. He says, you know how to make an Italian shut up? Tie his hands behind his back. <laughs> that's that's, I, how, that's I, how I silence my husband. You're I, right. I, I can say that because I'm Italian. We're going to take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation. With us tonight, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Monetti, along with his wife, Penny. The book is called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. And, and the new book, by the way, published by Discovery House. You can find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Amazon.com. We'll come back with some more insights as this edition of Lifeline continues. <laughs> And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. And with Lieutenant Colonel Tony Minetti from the United States Air Force, along with his wife Penny, we're talking about a new book called Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. You know, as much as we, I got such a big kick out of your, your experiences there, um, Penny, in Vicenza, the notion that for a lot of families, this is a sad story, this is a tough thing. There are some wives out there that say, you know, when... When I met my spouse, he wasn't in the military, or if he was, I don't know that I fully understood this, and he's the one who enlisted, not me, and all of a sudden we're now kind of all in this thing together. 
it, it really is a team effort. You can't do it uh, one person. And that's one thing that I, I've realized with most spouses is that they understand that in, they're serving their country also by supporting their spouse on the home front while they're away on the battlefront. See, if there's any message we could communicate to those eavesdropping on our conversation tonight that think of the one who was in service to God and country in the military as singularly the individual who, you know, carries the the epilepsy or the, the, the you know, the, the military regalia or, or what have you. It's not just them. Literally, the families are in service as well, aren't they? Yeah, you, you really are. And the one thing that I would leave with spouses that's so important while their warriors are serving abroad is not to isolate themselves, to stay connected with family members, with their churches, with their uh, community and the military. Because once you become isolated, and, and the Bible verse comes to mind of 1 Peter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy prowls around like the roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The lion, when he hunts, he separates the, the prey from the pack. And that's what the devil does with with any of us in our lives, that when he wants to attack, is he separates us from those who give us the most strength. And sticking with, uh, you know, with your, your accountability partners, with um, good friends, that helps. And that's the same goes with the warriors that are serving overseas, that they surround themselves with a good, strong community of friends and uh, positive influences and stay in the word, that is that is what the you know the best thing to do. Tony, does that also give you a sense of peace of mind as well? Because let's face it, you're you're out there. You're right now. You're flying the the B two stealth bomber. You're going on missions and and sorties and so forth. Uh, does it give you a greater sense of of peace as you're about this very stressful, critically important job to know that things are being taken home, care of at home? Well, without question, every every warrior that that deploys overseas is more at peace and able to focus on the mission when they know that uh, their families are being taken care of. And I can I can tell you that our government and our Department of Defense does a great job in uh, supporting our families, giving them good medical treatment, you know, giving them good security and housing. I mean, there's no other greater country than, than America on this planet. And and it's nice to know that that our our uh, government, our, our, our military is taking care of our families. But more importantly, like Penny was alluding to, uh, it, it starts with the home as far as you as a, as a warrior explaining to your wife and children and being honest with them that there's, there's a possibility you may deploy at any moment. And so, it's, you know, have your will done, power of attorney, have the, the lines of communication open so that they know that they can rely on talking to you if and when possible. But more importantly, that to know that they're they're a strong family unit, so that when you leave, they're going to be taken care of because they're strong. Absolutely. Any any words of advice that you can share? Uh, and let me start, Tony, first with you. Um, for those listening right now that are not in the military, um, you know, you're you're doing your duty. I think we as Americans have a duty to you uh, to help support you. What 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 should we who are are, are in the civilian end of this? Uh, how can we better support you guys, and, and most importantly, your families, too? I think uh, that's a great question, uh, Craig. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that, you know, when we're in uniform and people see us either at the airport or, or even just uh, in town, that they say, thanks for serving. I know that sounds cliche-ish, but, 
just the, uh, knowing that you care and you're appreciated is great. And I, I can also say that if there's business people out there, um, I know times are tough, uh, but if you offer some sort of military appreciation, uh, whatever that may be, it, it just, it's just special. My son just enlisted in the Army uh, a few weeks ago, decided to go in. And wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the Army? You're in the Air Force. Hang I on know, a minute here. What happened, Tony? Him. Don't even let me go in. What here. happened? He's <laughs> <laughs> always wanted to be a G.I. Joe, you know? It's okay. But, both, uh, both of my grandfathers were in the Navy. What does my really? father do? He joins the Marines. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a true joint force now. But, when my, but my, what I was getting at was Antonio uh, joined the military. They gave him an ID card. He starts training here soon. And um, and he went to a store, and they, they, they gave him a military discount, like 10% off. And he goes, wow, Dad, that's really cool that they appreciate me. I go, yeah, see that, son? I go, it's just their way of saying thanks. So I would say to the listeners out there um, that, that there's, that's one of the things you can do. Uh, another thing that's, that, that you can do, if you go to calltoserveministry.com, we literally have pages of information. Of, and Penny and I have researched of almost, I would say, almost about 100 different organizations that, are supporting the military, and so if you're interested in getting involved in connecting with these with these organizations, so that you can connect with warriors overseas, that's another great thing you can do. Of course, there's a, there's letters of encouragement you can write. When I was overseas, I would get letters from kids saying thanks for serving America. I mean, that that meant so much to me. I still have those letters, of boxes, down the basement, and that because it just meant a lot to me, you know. Yeah, and, and and supporting organizations like the USO and so forth. Absolutely, there, yes, sir. No doubt about it. And, and Penny, from your perspective, uh, same question. Well, I, I would definitely say for those families that are on the home front, and maybe there's someone you go to church with or you know of, um, reaching out to them, just uh, offering them to babysit once in a while. They don't realize that you know you don't really get a break uh, often because you're away from family in most cases. And your husband is usually the break that you, or your, or your wife, if it's vice versa, is the break that you get when um, to to get out. So just offering to babysit or having someone come over and mow a yard, or maybe you know a child that is their parent is deployed and going to their baseball game and taking them out for ice cream afterwards because their parent's not there. It just shows them so much that that just that they're cared about, and it gives that warrior on the on the battlefront just. A, a sense of peace knowing that his family is being taken care of. Absolutely. Well, I love what you guys are doing. Again, we want to urge folks, uh, you can get educated by getting a copy of this new book, Called to Serve, Encouragement, Support, and Inspiration for Military Families. Get more details, too, about this ministry, how you can get involved in making a difference and helping to support those in service to our nation through calledtoserveministry.com. That's called to serve ministry. Dot com And our appreciation out to uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, Tony Minetti and his wife, Penny. Uh, uh, Tony, one thought. When, when, you, when you talk to Antonio next, you just got to say, you know, kid, you joined the Army. Why walk when you can fly? <laughs> I love it. I promise you. I'll ask. I'll, I'll you got to say that. You know, you. Army's okay, but why walk when you can fly? Yeah, I, I don't understand it for the life of me. But, you know, uh, I, I'm happy that he chose to to defend America and be part of our military service. Well, we, we are we are privileged to have great men like you serving our nation. Thank you so much for yes, the duty sir. that you do. Penny, thank you for the sacrifice that you make in supporting uh, Tony in the job that he does for our nation, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. God bless you. All right. Thank take you. care now. God bless. Ciao. All right. Ciao. As we say in Italian, si vediamo pronto.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. 534 here on this Thursday edition of Lifeline. It is an event that every parent, grandparent certainly, looks very much forward to, the arrival of a bundle of joy. And certainly parenthood is designed to be just that. Now, experienced parents will say, oh, yes, Craig, but also there's this little thing of heartache that tends to go with the, the process from time to time. And that's that, that, that can be indeed very true. But no one perhaps understands it more than a parent who is looking forward with great hope and enthusiasm and wonderful dreams only to learn upon the birth of their child that that child has some pretty significant birth defects, birth defects that you know um, will follow that child for all of his or her life. It, in a blink of an eye, can literally blow your dreams and hopes for your child to bits and put you in a position going to battle waging a war, in a sense, where you feel completely unequipped, unprepared, unaware of what the outcome is going to be, and afraid, very, very afraid. The book by my next guest, co-authored with her late husband, addresses this very issue, particularly so from a father's perspective. You know, mother's well, being mothers, um, can tend to emotionally deal with the news that a child has birth defects um, in a bit of a different fashion and, and sometimes have different coping mechanisms at hand. Where guys, well, we either go into full-on denial or immediately think we're somehow going to be the savior of the day and fix things, even in circumstances where fixing it is simply not possible. This new book is called Common Man, Extraordinary Call, Thriving as the Dad of a Child with Special Needs. And joining me now is co-author Becky Davidson. Becky, thank you so much for taking time to be with us. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be with you tonight. I know that for you, this uh, this book is bittersweet, bittersweet in the sense that you and your husband, Jeff, had toiled together for a long time putting it together, really wanting to see it birthed out of uh, the ministry that uh, Jeff co-founded with you called Rising Above Ministries, um, that, that really is an effort to try and help parents, more specifically help fathers, understand the very important mission, so to speak, that they're about to embark upon, um, and that while it is a incredible undertaking, um, it is one that, with the proper preparation, uh, can be executed with much grace, um, much honor, and, and in many respects, God-honoring and an absolute joy. For you, as I say, better, bittersweet, because in the process um, of, of this book coming to fruition, your, um, your husband, Jeff, passed away, and I want to start by thanking you for being willing to see the project through and, most importantly, share all of this information with your readers. Well, it has been my honor um, to see his dream fulfilled. Um, he, he had such a passion for wanting to help dads, special needs dads, learn how to be the fathers and the husbands that God called them to be. 
And it was something that kept him up at night because he would see dads walking away from their post and, and leaving their families or becoming emotionally detached. And he wanted to do something to try to combat that. And so it has been my great honor and privilege um, to be able to, for this past year, to complete the book for him and get it out into the hands of the dads who so desperately need to hear this message. Tell, tell us a bit about uh, what transpired with the birth of your son, John Alex. Well, you know, we were expecting our first child, and it, we knew it was going to be a son. He was going to be a boy, and we were so excited, as any new parents are. And when he was born, um, we had absolutely no idea that he had special needs. Everything went perfectly fine with the pregnancy and with delivery, um, but then we started realizing that he wasn't reaching milestones. And about at the age of about seven or eight months, we were like, he's just not doing the things that the baby books say that he's supposed to do. And every month we would say, okay, well, next month, next month he'll be able to do it. And the next month would come and the next month would go when he still was not doing the things that he should be able to do at that age. And we started realizing around around his first birthday that he had some pretty significant um, special needs. Um, he is now 21. Um, is, he's completely nonverbal, uh, requires 24-7 care, uh, and is full-on, you know, needs help with everything that he does. But he is an absolute joy and uh, just lights up a room with his smile and uh, is just such a gift. Um, to me, and I'm so grateful for that sweet young man that's that's my son. For your husband, for Jeff early on, um, again, uh, always filled with great expectation um, and great joy, especially when it's the first child. Uh, for dads in particular, I think the sense of pride that comes with uh, having a son is is very meaningful. And I, and I suppose in some ways, when it's either from the onset or not long after a child's birth, about a year in or so, as you suggest, that the realization comes that things are not going to go as you had hoped for or planned for, um, can can put a parent into a position that they're not really prepared for. And as a result, I mean, and I, and I guess truth be told, no parent is fully prepared for the job of parenting, let alone finding out that you're going to have to parent with a very special extra demand placed on you. Absolutely. And, you know, Jeff would be the first one to tell you that he was terrible at it early on. When he started discovering, you know, he had, he had these dreams and visions of what he thought fatherhood was going to be. He dreamed that, you know, he'd be playing sports with him like he did with his dad, that he'd be going to football games with his son like he did with his dad. And when he started realizing that those things were just not going to be his reality, um, it sent him into a tailspin. And he would often just retreat to what he was good at, which was his work. He was fabulous at his job. He was a fabulous, um, he was in sales at the time and was top in the company. And so he would retreat to what he was good at and instead of being engaged and involved with us. And so in time, though, he started realizing this, I can't keep going this way. And so that's when he started, started really pouring into learning how to, how to best serve his son with his unique needs, how to, how to parent his son 
with unique needs. And once he came to that place of acceptance, then his whole world changed. Yes, he was not able to do the things that he had originally dreamed and planned of, but he he shifted those expectations and things that he thought the way that they were going to be and shifted those, and then he started having joy and started learning how to interact and engage with our son. It was beautiful to see. I'm I'm curious from, from your experience, and no doubt down through the years, um, you have talked to other parents that have children with special needs. Any sense of how common uh, this sort of going AWOL uh, for fathers can be? As you say, there's there's a sense of expectations that go in, and you've kind of planned out in your mind, uh, you know, uh, playing catch and helping your uh, your son uh, excel, um, uh, not only scholastically but athletically and first dates and meeting the girl of his dreams and marriage and grandkids. And, you know, the, the, the motion picture, so to speak, kind of plays through a father's mind and when there's this tremendous sense of heartbreak and shock that comes, what percentage of fathers go AWOL, either literally or emotionally? Well, I would think early on we see it happening often. When a child is first diagnosed, uh, that's when we see it happen the most, typically within the first few years of the child's life after a diagnosis. You either see a dad jump in there and get involved, or you see a dad who... A lot of times it's not so much that they walk away, but they emotionally just disengage. Um, we see that time and time again. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's a very large percentage of the dads who struggle, especially early on, with dealing with that. And, and again, then once they get to that place of, okay, oh, and, and when we see a dad do that, get to that place of, this is really God's best for my family, then it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't always happen, unfortunately. And unfortunately, there are many dads who, once they've emotionally disengaged and and don't learn how to get involved with their family, that's when we see them walk away. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragic thing. And, and you know, at a level we can understand in the sense that, um, I mean, any parent will tell you, parenting is a major undertaking. Now when you add to it, a special needs child, that major undertaking can be amplified a hundred times over, not only because everything takes so much time and care and attention and effort, but then there are some cases, dependent upon the uh, the nature of the special needs, where you might recognize this is not going to wind up with he graduates from high school, goes on to college, meets the girl of his dreams, moves out, and goes on to his own family and his own life. But we're suddenly now committed for this for the long haul. We, we've, we've got to see this battle through start to finish, realizing we will grow old and die, and that child will continue to have special needs that we'll then no longer be able to, to address. I mean, that, that's got to be just absolutely crushing for a father who is ill-prepared to face all this. Yeah, and that is absolutely one of the top things. When you ask the special needs parent what is their, the thing that, that keeps them up at night and concerns them, that is it. If, if who is going to take care of my child um, if something happens to me? And, and you, 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 you are so concerned about, because it is, it's full time. My son will live with me the rest of his life, which I'm so thankful for that. But... Um, it's, you know, I do, then I go, what's going to happen once I'm gone now that his dad is gone? And that is something that keeps special needs parents up at night concerned about who will care for their child. 
or their adult with special needs. There, there's a process here, and I want to talk about it after the break. There's a process here early on that sometimes either gets skipped over or short-circuited that I think is critically important, and you talk about this with Jeff in the book, uh, of a parent uh, and a father in particular needing to face full head-on the sense of loss that happens when things don't turn out the way you had hoped, the grief that's associated with that, even even up to and including the anger uh, directed inwardly, outwardly, directed towards God, and how denying that process or trying to kind of skip over it uh, it can be more problematic than uh, than it seems. With me today is Becky Davidson. Becky, along with her late husband, Jeff, are co-authors of Common Man, Extraordinary Call, Thriving as the Dad of a Child with Special Needs. And I realize that so many layers, this is a, a heartbreaking topic. And yet, as you've heard Becky allude to already a couple of times in our conversation, uh, this can also be a tremendous joy. And ironically, so much of it is a matter of perspective. And I know this is going to sound trite but a matter of what you make of it. Is this a curse or is this a most incredible blessing? We'll talk about that and then move on into the important aspects of how fathers can really face this front on and do it in a fashion where they develop the necessary, what should we call it, emotional and mental toughness for the sake of the family, for the sake of the child, to see it through. Common Man, Extraordinary Call. Our conversation with Becky Davidson continues. Right now, a conversation about traffic. And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back with author Becky Davidson, along with her late husband, Jeff, have penned Common Man, Extraordinary Call, Thriving as the Dad of a Child with Special Needs. And and let me tell you, with Father's Day a couple of three weeks here away, uh, this new book published by uh, Kriegel is really a timely one. Uh, It is a field manual of sorts for dads with special needs kids. And, and, and the book, I suppose, uh, Becky, as, as first conceived by Jeff, was really designed to be like that, isn't it? Absolutely. It was his heart to be able to just walk a dad step by step. What do you do when you receive a diagnosis? Because he didn't have anybody when we received the diagnosis for our son. And there was no one to walk him through how to handle this and what to do. And so it was his heart to be able to just have something that a dad could have a manual, could sit down, could read, and could learn step by step. Okay, when you get a diagnosis, here's how you can learn to manage and deal with this. And not only deal with it, but to thrive as a dad of a child with special needs. One of the distinctions that you make in the book that really caught my attention, and that is the differentiation. I mean, a diagnosis is handed down. Guys, as I suggested in my opening remarks, tend to want to jump in and fix it and then are crushed when they find out that they can't. And so they either sort of withdraw emotionally or go AWOL literally. Um, but, But one of the things that you talk about in the book that really captured my attention is the notion that with a diagnosis handed down or whatever it might be, I believe in the 
case of, of John Alex, he was diagnosed with autism, cerebral palsy, and epilepsy, which is really a, a, a threefer on, on all accounts. But you talk about the notion that a diagnosis describes a child but it doesn't have to define the child. I, I, that may be very nuanced for some listeners, but walk us through that, would you? Well, absolutely. You know, my son, like you said, has all those diagnoses. Those are the things that can that describe what he has, the physical disabilities that he has, that he encounters every day. But they absolutely do not define who he is. He had, like I said before, he has this smile that lights up a room. He, and even though he is a nonverbal child, he loves to pray, and he loves when you pray. And so even though his body may be, quote-unquote, broken, his spirit is not. And he understands things on a spiritual level, even though you might think that he doesn't. Um, he does. So all of those, those things, they're labels that are placed on him, but they absolutely do not define who he is. He is a child of the king, just like you and I are. What I love about the book, and we've suggested earlier that this is really designed intentionally to be a field manual, uh, throughout the book you, you liken this to military service. And that also caught my attention because uh, when, you, when you think about some of the, the, the hallmarks of what it means to serve your country in a branch of the military, it is often defined as sacrifice and duty and honor and certainly service. And uh, when you when you put it in those terms, in in, in so far as the role that a father takes on now, in in not only shepherding his his son but as leader of the family, that during the moments when this gets to be so frustrating and so difficult and you're searching for a source of strength when it feels as if your prayers only hit the ceiling and God is 10 million miles away, to understand that what you can carry you through is, is your attitude related to this as duty and honor and service and sacrifice. Did that make a big difference for Jeff in, in getting through and, and learning what it meant to be a father to John Alex? Absolutely. You know, I think when you can look at this, I, when, I, when I'm caring for my child, I, I look at it as like, I'm, it's an honor to be able to serve him. He is someone who is helpless and innocent and, and needs help. And Jeff felt that way. Jeff, Jeff was such a um, he, patriot, and he loved and honored those who served in the military. And so to, to look at his role as a father, as Filling those same roles that you might in the military, but doing that for his son, absolutely. It was an honor for him to be able to take care of his child in those roles. And, and the, he did it with his dignity and grace. And this really seems to fit hand in glove because when I think, and, and we're just here a scant few days after Memorial Day where we honor those who have served our country and passed on, that so much of military duty is marked by those who sacrifice more, give more service, more of themselves at the family level, at the individual military person's level. And certainly I think that the parent of any child with special needs would say, hey, at the end of the day, here's what it means. It means more time, more patience, more effort, more money, more energy, just more of everything. And, and I suppose maybe one of the big messages here is that under those circumstances, uh, learning how to liken this to 
um, more sense of duty and honor that this is not a curse but a blessing and that God is really, at the end of the day, your source of strength to get through all this. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that helped us more than anything is changing our perspective. When we look at, oh, my goodness, you know, all the things that we have to do to care for him, then you're going to have just a terrible attitude about it. But when we, can, when we can change that and go, it is an honor to do this for this beautiful human being who is totally dependent on us for his care, um, then what, it just changes your whole perspective, and you can have joy, and you can have peace, and you can look at this as the biggest blessing. Jeff and I, in time, yes, it was hard early on, but we, in time, learned to see John Alex as this beautiful, beautiful gift from God, and how grateful, what a blessing he was, you know, that he is to us and to everyone he encounters. As as we are here a couple of three weeks away from Father's Day, um, in a parting word, Becky, based on witnessing how your husband Jeff um, interacted with with um, John Alex and the core message of the book Common Man, Extraordinary Call, what in your mind would be maybe the top piece of advice that you would give to a father? that uh, maybe has recently learned that a son or a daughter has been diagnosed or they, they've been dealing with this for a while but not very well. What advice would you lend them? Well, I would just tell them, you know what, yes, this is going to be the hardest thing you have ever done in your life. But if you will learn to trust in God, to be your source, to be your guide, to help you on this journey, then you're going to be able to make it through this journey that you're on so successfully. You're going to have bumps in the road. You're going to have detours and things you're not going to expect or want, just like I have with the death of my husband. But when you can say, all right, God, I'm going to trust in you that you are not only going to provide for me, but you're going to provide for my child. You're going to provide what we need. You're going to lead us and guide us. Then you will be able to make it on this journey so much more successfully than if you try to do it on your own. You cannot do this on your own. But when you can relinquish control to God, and when you can get to that place of acceptance, I love in the book. There's a place where there's a, a part in the book where it talks about acceptance. It is well with my soul. And when you can get to that place of you know what, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I would have planned. If I were writing my story, this is not how I would have written it. But I am thankful, and I have gratitude for every good gift that I have. And um, to just be able to shift that perspective and find the joy and see the beauty in your child the way they were created to be. And that notion, I think, uh, Becky touched on what I mentioned briefly earlier on, and that is uh, facing the grief. There is a loss. There is disappointment. There is anger here. Um, lots of questions that perhaps will never be answered, um, certainly not this side of glory. Um, and to face that head on and then begin to rely upon God uh, as the source of strength and and to look at this as going into battle, so to speak. And, you know, uh, how many battles has America fought down through the years where in the beginning it looked like there was absolutely no way we were going to be overcomers, that we were the underdog and this was probably not going to end well. But at the end trusting in God, being willing to make the necessary sacrifice to serve, 
with honor and a sense of duty and to know that God will carry you through can really be many of the key components that will get you through this and put you in that position to really experience what it means to be a common man with an extraordinary call. That's the title of the new book, Thriving as a Dad of a Child with Special Needs, Newly published by Kriegel. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it, certainly, um, online through the usual suspects um, at uh, Amazon.com, or you can also get it at risingaboveministries.org, which is now led by um, Becky Davidson, the ministry that she and her husband uh, founded together a number of years ago. Becky Davidson, the book, Common Man, Extraordinary Call, co-authored with her late husband, Jeff, and I got to tell you, if you know somebody that is the father of a child with special needs, this is a book you need to get that dad for Father's Day, to be sure. Common Man Extraordinary Call, Thriving as the Dad of a Child with Special Needs. Our thanks to Becky Davidson for being with us in this segment of Lifeline. Get a look at traffic, then I'm going to give away some tickets. And what should we do? Speeding, parking, Uh, Well, we'll figure that out in a moment. Right now, let's figure out some traffic. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.